This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast for visiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, the Steel Collar Man. Over here, we have these units, Series D-5 Marksmen. Now, they are equipped with infrared vision and laser rangefinders. When they leave this room, they will be combat ready. I'd like to go up against one of these tin cans myself, just to test them. They have already been tested, and they outperformed humans in every combat exercise. Is that so? Maybe they haven't been tested against the right human. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast asking the president if it can keep its brain. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Do you ever dream your hand is a powerful steel claw? One of my favorite lines of this was when that man, apropos, we're meeting him for the first time, and that is his first line. I'm just like, okie dokie. <laughs> yeah, like, he's an interesting character. I also like his driver's like, uh, no, sir? <laughs> <laughs> that next time you're in a cab or an Uber or something, that's what you have to ask the driver. Ask the, I'll just sit there quietly for like 15 minutes, and then I'll just like... In that man, that man's perfect. He's such a heavy, so like he gives it in like a real George C. Scott reading. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Anyway, this week we are watching the pilot for the Steel Collar Man. Uh, of course, it was never went to series, but it aired on NBC August 7th, 1985. Yeah, a nice summer replacement. Absolutely. And now, um, Jordan, just, just for funsies, um, we watched two other things that happened in 1985, a, hmm. a TV movie and a series. So I want to see, can you guess what those what those two were a tv series and a tv movie can you give me a hint uh it's 1985 (laughs) we watched a tv movie from 1985 and we watched okay i can give you a hint uh in that we watched the tv movie recently and then we watched the tv series last year do you want a further hint? I can give you another hint for the TV. Yeah, series give me another hint. Honestly, I forget where we are sometimes, and uh, it all blends together. Because the only only TV movie I can remember is Wasp Woman, but that was in the nineties. Uh, well, all right, I don't have any more hints for you. The TV series was recently, or the TV movie was recently. The t- other hint for the TV series it was from last year, and you can never remember the name of it. Oh, I know what it is. It's the time traveling family, isn't it? It's the other world, correct? Other world. Okay, so that was the thing, and the TV movie would have been. What was on in 1985? Did it have something to do with trucking? Because it seems like this area always has people getting on trucks. I would say the weird thing with the TV movie is it has a tangential relation to Steel Collar Man in that the lead character of this show, the actor, also was not in the TV movie, but would later be involved in a spin-off of the TV movie. Oh, I, I don't know. Tell me, what was it? It was Max Headroom. Oh, Max Headroom. Oh, I wouldn't have got that. Yes, yes. Uh, Charles Rocket, uh, D5B in this, was apparently also in the uh, American the American TV version of Max Headroom. Mm. Well, speaking of Steel Collar Man, and I'm sure you have more information. I don't. What's interesting about this is, at least for me, was the weird tropes that you get with androids and robots. And we've seen a lot of series now from all the way from... Um, Quester tapes. Quester tapes to Man and Machine to um, uh, what was the one, uh, uh, the Roddenberry one we watched way back? Quester, t- uh, did I already say Quester tapes? We already said Quester tapes. Quester tapes. tapes. And Quester tapes again. There, there, anyways, there's been, that's only a couple examples. We've, all, we've only ever watched Quester tapes, you guys. <laughs> there's been, there's, my point being, I don't have a great memory, but we've had multiple and multiple robots. And there's certain things that you always have to have with robots, and there's certain gags you have to have. And one thing I've noticed is robots are going to count cards. They're going to play pool. Absolutely. You're going to get you're going to get robot vision. Yeah, they're going to look at things, and it's going to have a whole readout on yeah. the screen of what they're going to have. Works. They're going to have a problem with jokes and with getting um, human emotions. It's hard yeah, for them. Human emotions, um, but they're also going to be kind of lovable in their innocence. Maybe even in you know, in sort of like uh, was it Man and Machine? Was that the one with the sexy robot? Yes. Yeah. Whether it's that you know, like 
She's a robot, but she's also kind of sexy because she's innocent. You know, there's, there's not quite a little bit. There's a little bit of that in this. There's a tiny bit of this, uh, but but not not quite to the same extent. I think because, because he's a guy. It's because he's a man. So. Yeah. <laughs> but it is funny to see these things over and over and over. It's just like you're like honestly, you could write this easily. I, I felt this was very funnily like you're right. All the robot tropes we've seen before come back into play, and yeah. also felt like I felt like it was also an episode of Auto Man potentially. Like mm-hmm. all. The, all the beats in Auto Man are here. I, I really felt like this was a distillation of a lot of things we've watched. We should have mentioned Auto Man. He's, for all intents purposes, he's the same robot it, character. Basically. He's just a hologram instead of a robot. All right, Jordan. Here is the INDB summary for the Steel Collar Man. An android soldier and its creator are on the run from the government. Bracket. Which, was cr- which it was created for and wants to destroy it. End bracket. And find help from a truck driver... With whom they help people. Yeah, that's... I that mean, probably would have been the series. <laughs> yeah. What's weird is, so this is going to be a pilot. This is, you know, back in the time where they would air these things as a pilot, see if people like them, you know, as a TV movie, and then they'll make a series. And you can really feel the desire to set things up in the series. You're going to get your bad guy. And this is going to be like a sort of fugitive-esque show where you're going to have someone chasing your main character every episode. That's what they kind of want. And we've said this multiple times before, but clearly The Fugitive was such a huge show and that concept worked so well for television that the amount of uh, shows that try to replicate it is is astounding. And this is just one of those. So you're going to get that sense. Now, does it work as a TV pilot? Well, we'll discuss, but you really get the sense that they're setting it up for the long game of this is going to be a robot on the run in various... Uh, various plots, and there's going to be this FBI or whatever he is agent uh, chasing him every week. Yes, yes. Is um, he FBI? What is he? He's military, I believe. Oh, that's right. You're right. He is. He's some sort of vague military personnel person. What I what I did find in this episode is if you're in the military, you get a badge you can flash people, and if you flash at a drive-in, you get him for free. Yep. I was like, oh, that's a bonus. Also, I don't know if this is a character trait, but you have so many guns. It's it's bizarre. Well, the opening credits for this show are some of the best I've ever seen. Oh, you know, it's funny. Uh, Luke and I were talking on uh, a couple nights ago. Uh, I was going to say not about the podcast, but clearly we were talking about the podcast. And the opening credit is, Luke, correct me if I'm wrong. It's mostly our main character. So Charles Rocket playing D5B, who's a robot. Saturday Live alumni, Charles Rocket. Yeah, who's wearing like a one piece. His outfit's like a one piece uh, blue jumpsuit. Yeah. Sort of like he's a mechanic. And the opening credits are mostly him running towards the screen on, on like, uh, running in pace. And then a reverse shot of him running away. But he never gets further because he's still running in the spot. Yeah, he's, he's running on the spot while they do, like, a Tron-esque, like, oh, landscape man. moving around him, which is very funny and very good. I, I love it so much. And then while they're doing that... The, sh- the forward shot of his face as he's, r- like, running on the spot toward the screen <laughs> suddenly flash frames to the Terminator's face, basically. Like, it's just a robot face flash frames where his face was, and then just flashes back to his face. That's like, oh, my God. Yeah, but it, it lets you know what you need to know. You're like, hey, why is this guy running in place? You're like, oh, he's a robot. Well, that answers all my questions. I'll keep tuning in every week. <laughs> well, they're very economical in this opening credits because then, like, this is, like, most of where it happens. And then they cut to a shot of his creator, Dr. Fletcher, yeah. uh, Dr. Connie Constance Fletcher. And you just see him laying on a on a on a like a table, old Charles Rocket, old D five B, and then she rips off his face to reveal the robot, and then it cuts back to like him running on the spot. I'm just like, oh yeah, I know everything I need to know. That lady created a robot, and this is that robot. And, and I'll say this now: this time period is my favorite for uh, what robots look like when they take off his face. He looks great. And later on, he's going to get shot and you'll see wires and stuff. And that's exactly what I want for my robots and television. I want cables and wires and uh, lights that make no sense, but they look cool. We're very much back to Beyond Westworld with these robots. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the episode starts on one of the best opening lines of a television series any- anywhere. What you hear is some, some, some anonymous military brass. And the first lines of the episode are, a robot is a robot. Hmm. And I was like, interesting. And the man will only refer to robots for the rest of the scene as robots. Oh, um, and let me mention something real quick. This was written by, I don't know if you looked into this. This was written oh, by D- Dave Thomas. I'm going to talk about that because 
in this opening scene, what we see is two military or three or four military guys. We'll never see them again, but they're basically discussing a new robot they've built, the D5B robot, which has a fifth generation computer brain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's good that, generation. The fourth generation had a lot of bugs, so the fifth generation they really worked it out. Um, and the problem with it is it allows the pro- the robot to program itself. It's essentially a sentient robot. And yeah. these military brass are pointing out just like, we don't need robots to think for themselves. What we need is we we have all these trucks and tanks and vehicles. We just need we just need robots who can drive a car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they're very worried that if they make a sentient robot, it will demand civil rights. Which is weirdly kind of what I think the the moral tale of this is but it's murky at best in this that there's this idea of autonomy or sentience of a robot is sort of what the plot is but this is not a roddenberry uh uh story that this is not going to be a more moral tale it's just thrown in there well and then the uh the military brass in a uh, another bizarre turn then proceed to walk into a bathroom to have a whispered conversation about how they're going to send our our lead bad guy the heavy AG Willis to Washington to end this new robot program and that'll and that'll be the end of this sentient robot. So um let me ask you this though. So feasibly in this world the government has funded yes. a um a robotic uh industry by the military, so it's under the military's budget, to create these robots for military purposes. But then they're angry about this one particular robot they created, so they want to just quash the entire program and cut funding. I'm like, does this make sense? I think they just want to quash the one robot, but maybe it's the whole thing. I don't know. What's great, though, is they're having this whispered conversation about how they're going to send A.G. Wills to, like, crush the whole the whole thing. We're, we're stopping this, a, this A5B project or whatever. Or D5B, sorry. Mm-hmm. And uh, as they're whispering, one of the bathroom stalls opens and they freeze. And who should walk out, Jordan? Dave Thomas. But Dave Thomas from SCTV. Who's the writer of this? Yes, who's the writer. Who then, like, the next scene, his credit comes up. And I'm just like, what is happening here? Why is an SCTV alum here? Well, and what was also interesting, I, I wanted to know, I didn't look up this was filmed in Canada, but... Also, one of those the scientists talking about uh, in that room is is also, and I don't think he's credited, but I recognized him. It's Derek McGrath, who's also a Canadian actor. And I was like, this has got to be shot in Canada. They didn't fly Derek McGrath anywhere. You know what I mean? It, it could be. And it's very funny because like Dave Thomas isn't in the rest of it. This is just a little fun walkthrough cameo for him for, for a pilot he's written. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was, I was like, by the end of the scene, I'm like, who are these people? Why are they going to a bathroom to whisper about this? Why did Dave Thomas just walk out of the toilet? There's no reason. It's just like, it's funny. He's the writer. It'd be funny if he had a Hitchcockian cameo. At any rate, we jump to A.G. Willis, our, our heavy, with the, the most severe face in the world. You'd never want to cross him. <laughs> he, he, he does have the most severe face in the world. This guy has never smiled. And he, he's taken a trip to UIM ultra intelligent machines where they mm-hmm. build these robots well there's there's a point i like just before this while he's driving and i think he gets that line i said earlier where he's getting driven by his uh driver and he's and he just apropos of nothing goes do you ever dream your hand is a powerful steel claw and the driver's like <laughs> um no anyways but he opens up a, a top secret memo and it says top secret but then right under the stamp top secret it says robots in the armed forces and i was like i think you're giving away what your top what the secrets are it's there's they're robot secrets like what could they be there only could be one thing. The robots have gained sentience. Absolutely. And he, he arrives at UIM. He gets a little tour of the place. And it's explained that um, these are not these robots are not androids. They are mm. analogs. Yeah, I got the line. They So they're analogs. They're nuclear-powered mechanical facsimiles of the human body. I know. My favorite part is just like, I'm like, okay. So, so, so I'm like, so they have all the organs of a human, but they're just run with pistons? They didn't quite make that clear because they want to really make sure they're not androids. But for all intents and purposes, it's an android. But it does it have human organs? I think th- I think the idea is like they're 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 almost human, plus a few bonus features they employ. <laughs> hmm. So these are may I guess they're these are more like the modern uh, Westworld, maybe. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and of course, they bring Willis to meet the new D5B prototype, the one who's sentient, and he's he's been he just got his leg fixed because he was fighting a shark. <laughs> is that what they said? I missed that. They're like, oh, we fixed your leg after that shark. And I'm just like, hmm, I would have liked to see that scene. What was the pilot we watched where the opening scene was a guy fighting sharks? Do you remember that? Oh, uh, wasn't that not uh, Gemini Man? It was Gemini Man. Under the water. You're right. You're right. So it was the same kind of adventure. 
And he's having a bit of a moment with his creator, Dr. Connie Fletcher, where she's quite clearly like hot, hot for robot. Yeah, it was a weird thing to get off right off the bat because I don't know what to say. It's like, oh, it's a doctor and it's a woman. You're like, oh, good. It's there's a, you know, a female doctor's like, oh, but she also has the hots for uh, for her you're robot. Gonna, That's you're her gonna character. You're going to need a little love, love triangle in this somewhere. It's a sort of romance. So it's just like, let's get this show is really great at just getting it out of the way. Yeah, that's true. And she like she's like, well, let's test your legs. They have a little slow dance together. And then as a like <laughs> as part of the as like, let's see if your leg works. Let's dance. And then as Willis walks in to meet him, uh, I believe D5B is break dancing on the ground at that point. His that's legs right. working great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's 1985. And uh, Willis walks in. And he informs everyone in the room that the the president has has decreed that he wants D5B's brain pulled out and put on his desk by 1700 hours. So it was weird because it was specifically his brain. It wasn't I want him deactivated and proof of deactivation or even like I want some physical component like a microchip or something. It's I want his brain, his brain matter I want on my desk. Like this president sounds a little office rocker. I, I want his brain. And the, and Wills was like, I'll be back at 1900 hours to pick up that brain. See you guys later. <laughs> yeah. And of course, D5B does not like the sound of this. And he, he tells Fletcher, he's like, I, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go see the president myself and uh, just ask to keep my brain, though. As you mentioned, they say that over and over and over. By the yeah, way, yeah. Like, that's I, the, I, running, the running, yeah, the running gag is I need to save my brain. And. As, as you've mentioned, he's a bit of an innocent, so he really doesn't know the world. Like, And I kind of like this about it. It's just like, this isn't a robot who's been like heavily programmed or trained. It essentially knows nothing. Like, Yeah, it's, you're going to get... They don't really lean into it as much as some shows you'd see from this time, but there's a little bit of the fish out of water of him not understanding humor, him not understanding basic things, so he has to sort of figure them out along the way. Again, they don't quite lean into it as much as you might think they do, uh, because this is, for all intents and purposes, like... They need to motor through all the stuff because they're really just like, hey, guys, we just want to give you everything you need to know for this series that you're going to love. So we just got to get through it quick. Yes. And the essential thing is he's like, I, he sets off on his adventure, find the president, ask him to keep his brain. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Fletcher's like, I'm going to give you a tracking device so I can find you later, but you should get out of here. You're completely correct. Which leads to a great scene where he's like, he puts on a lab coat and he's walking out trying to trying to like leave incognito, leave the UI, the ultra intelligent machines laboratory. And as he's leaving uh, the front desk, the security guard front desk is like, oh, sir, you have to sign out. That's right. So he comes back, start and he doesn't he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what he's never signed out before. So he writes in the book, I'm going to see the president to ask him to keep my brain. And then he turns 90 degrees and walks through a plate glass window. <laughs> yeah, why? I know it was like a gag, but I'm assuming at some point in his programming, he figured out how to open a door. So why he just walked through a glass door? It's not like there was some sort of distraction or something or he didn't understand. He just, it's just be like, he's a robot. It's just very funny to do that cut where he just walks straight through a plate glass window. I was rolling in the aisle. <laughs> so he breaks the glass and then they sort of realize he's escaped and like the alarm goes off and there's a weird thing and i don't i don't know if it matters about anything but the alarm goes off and they they have a shot of all the other robots who all weird ones yeah weirdly all don't have hair they're all just like bald and for whatever reason but when the alarm comes up they all sit up they all look and then are like huh and then all lay back down but i didn't know what i was supposed to get from that just there's robots it is again a running gig because later in the episode, a character at the lab will make a call and someone's telling him he's going to get fired if he doesn't fix this or something. And as he's yelling into the phone, not looking over his shoulder, all the robots look up to listen to the call. Like they all sit up on their tables. And then when he turns around, they all lay back down. And he's just like, don't look at me. Yeah, but what what is the joke? It's just funny watching the synchronicity of all those robots. Oh, I see. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. I, I, it they is all funny. sit up at the same time. They're like, oh, and then they lay back down. Look yeah. at how much they've synchronized. Yeah, all right. I mean, here's the thing. He gets out of this thing. He immediately steals the first car he sees. And it is a moment where it's just like he like he understands the concept of... He can look at it. He can see through it with his X-ray robot vision. He's just like, oh, this is some sort of machine that travels forward. I'm going to get in it, start it, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, he has that Terminator view that you've seen before. There's some text on screen, and he looks at something. But what they get is sort of like you can see the glowing components of in this in this uh, instance, like the combustible engine of an of a car. He can see how it works. So the joke is, he gets in a car, he can turn it on, 
but he doesn't know how to drive it. And then it takes him a couple minutes to figure out, oh, I need to steer it, which well, he will figure out. And it's like, that's the gag is. I mean, the gag is he gets in, he starts it and the car just starts driving. And he's just like, this machine wishes to destroy itself because he doesn't understand he needs to like operate it. So the, the car is literally just a car smashing into things through a parking lot, yeah. which is just the first of like. The, this show is is very concerned with being a destruction derby. So much shit gets trashed. It's true. So so this car, he's sort of, uh, he's off. And now you know that like kind of the chase is on. And it's pretty quick that this car breaks down, right? I'm assuming because he just didn't put gas into it. I think it's the case. It, it, next time we see him, he's pushing the car with one hand because he's so powerful down the road because it's run out of gas. And uh, a trucker drives by, a, a man named Red, sees D5B, pulls over and offers to, to give him a ride. And he's played by uh, Hoyt Axton. What, what would I know Hoyt Axton from? Uh, he, the dad in Gremlins. Okay, right. There you go. He, uh, Red, Red really likes it. They, they hit it off right away. I think as, as uh, Red will say later, D5B has a real, fr- a real friendly face, a person you want to like. That's right. You know, let me, one, just getting off topic for a minute. D5B, I didn't think that worked very well. It wasn't like, you know, R2-D2. That works, you know? Like D5B... That's just that's it, and it is and it's only to lead up to a gag where I believe Red asks like, "What's your name?" and he's like, "D5B." He's like, "What was that?" D5B. Did you say Steve? Yes, I said Steve. <laughs> well, that's the thing. It doesn't even like C sounds like Steve. He didn't say like it's it's C is you know the letter or whatever. It's like oh, you said Steve. It's like D5B doesn't sound like Steve. It's uh, nope. Steve sounds like Steve. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> anyway, Red. Red is basically immediately picks up this guy. He just wants to talk about how aliens are real. The government's covering it up and how you can't trust the government. And of course, uh, this is where this is where D5B learns his first and only joke. When he asks uh, when he asks D5B, where are you headed? He's just like, I'm going to see the president to ask him to keep my brain. And uh, Steve's just like, or I believe Red says it's like, well, probably because he needs his own brain. Or does the does, who says it? Is it him or does Fletcher say it earlier? Someone it, gives him that joke, and that's the rest of the show. Yeah, that's the basic the basic joke to some extent is I need my brain, and as we all know, politicians the worst thing, and no one likes the president, so he needs a brain too. That's this like gag that everyone loves, and he says it with such a straight face that everyone just thinks he's being very dry. Yes. Anytime anyone asks them where he's going, he's like, "I'm going to ask the president if I can keep my brain," and they're and as soon as they are like, "What?" He's just like, unless he needs a brain himself. And then everyone's like, ah, you're a very droll. You're a very droll robot. Yes. And everyone in this world, uh, they're very like untrusting and hate government. So it's a good gag. It's a great gag. Great gag. Anyway, Red, Red eventually drops uh, old D5B off at a, at a service station to get gas for his car. And um, as soon as he drops D5B off, the first thing he sees getting out of the car is a big sign for a used car lot, like a big billboard. And in the corner of it's a little, like, guarantee. Like, if you don't love this car, I'll do something. Or, you know, some mm-hmm. guarantee from the owner. And it's signed by the owner under the name, I believe his name is Don Liddell, President. Yeah. And, of course, D5B focuses in on the word president. He's like, well, there's the man I need to go talk to about my brain. And this is where I think the show could have leaned into this a little bit better. Because I thought this was a cute moment and an interesting thing for him. You know, he has this journey, but he doesn't have the tools uh, intellectually to be able to actually accomplish what he needs to but this still propels him in a direction i thought there was something interesting about that like yeah like that would be how you work he's looking for a president he doesn't know what he does he sees a sign that says president he goes that must be the president i'm looking for and i thought that was good and again they don't do enough with that i think in this episode because for whatever reason they really want to get to monster trucks uh smashing other trucks so there's no time it is nice. I like this concept. Like, this is not a robot who has Wikipedia built into his brain. This mm-hmm. is a robot who truly knows zero about anything. So when he he's just like, I need to go ask the president to keep my brain. He doesn't he doesn't ask any further questions. He's just like, next thing, get brain from president. And just the first time he sees the word president, he's like, I guess that's where I'm going. Yeah, and I think that is this when we get to a we get a cut like a really hard cut to like yes. introduce a bunch of new characters. Like what? And but now, so we get a hard cut to this. I guess it's a car dealership, right? Yeah, I use car lot. And what we see is a cement truck being backed up, but not only backed up, but like smashes through stuff. No, it's like going Terminator Two style, full speed through another billboard and just plowing through every single used car on the lot, destroying every used car, and then backing up to a convertible. Two goons get out and then fill that convertible with cement. <laughs> Yeah, so, and you go, oh, but there's one interesting thing. Did you notice who one of those goons was? No. 
So one of the goons is Robert O'Reilly, and I recognized him immediately. And uh, anyone who's listening who's a fan of science fiction, he played Galron in Star Trek. Oh, that was Galron? Yeah. Do you know which one? I can watch it again. Because that actor has very prominent eyes. And as soon as I saw it, I said, I know who this is. I, and it took me a minute, and I was like, oh, it's Gowron. It's got to be Gowron. And then uh, that was – I just loved that that uh, I got to see a younger version of him. But That's um, amazing. But anyways, uh, yeah, so what you get is that – Don like, Liddell, I'll, the owner, owes yeah. money to a mob boss named Big Jack. <laughs> yeah, so they want they want 50000 from him. Uh, he's. I think he, what it is is he's a gambling debt. He's been, I think, playing cards, and he's yeah. lost fifty thousand to the mob. They are now. Although to be fair, they've just done way more than fifty thousand dollars damage to his uh, livelihood and his business. So I don't know what the deal is. But anyways, they are now threatening him, and he's in a he's in a tough state. So I I really hope that you know some sort of robot comes by to to change his fortunes. Well, it is great because he comes out, watches this all happen to his business, then walks back into his trailer slash office, and like. DB5 is just sitting in there, scares the shit out of him. Yeah, and uh, you know, here's the thing. He's like, he sort of immediately starts to treat him like he's another goon. He's like, I just told you guys that I would have given you money. But I'm like, did that make sense that he thought, wouldn't you not just thought it was another customer? I don't know. I think he was just frightened by this man who was in his office suddenly. And uh, of course, DB5 and me is like, hello, Mr. President. May I keep my brain, please? To yeah. which I, my favorite response is Liddell's just like, he's like, you want my advice? Best way to keep your brain is not to play cards with the mob. And I'm like, good advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I like how non-subtle this turn is because they need to get to the point you know they're going to get to, which is you realize the robot can count cards. He can um, uh, not just count cards, but like he can spot exactly where the card is in the deck because he's just watching. Yeah. Yeah. Like D5B is like, what are cards? I've never heard of them. Liddell just has an unopened pack of cards in his desk, tosses to DB5. He opens them realizes they're what does he say like these are just four sets of sequential numbers allow me to order them for you he does one shuffle and they're back in order and of course at this point liddell sees an opportunity he's like i'm gonna teach you to play poker and then we're gonna go to big jake's casino and get me out of debt which great plan yeah it is a good plan and again as i've said we're gonna get to a scene and you think it's gonna be a card scene it's gonna quickly turn into a pool but let me ask you luke we have seen pool so many times in these tv shows what is so evocative or cinematic about pool why did why do people want always like of all the games to choose if, i mean i think of a game of chance pool probably is just like the most interesting to show on television like it's a game of poker is fine but it's not like that like action-packed like, well, no, i know i no know pool is more interesting than poker because it's just people sitting looking at cards i get that but of I mean, I guess it makes sense in the, a game of chance, but it just seems odd. We've seen it so many times. Pool. I'm like, darts. How about darts? I think I think part of it is, too, if you look at where we see all the pool games, I think they more or less fall in this late 70s, mid 80s period. And I think maybe it was just a time when that was just in the vogue. Mm, yeah, maybe. Or, or maybe it was just easy. Like a pool table is an easy thing to get your hands on. It's easy for the audience to relate to. And it's qu- it's just a quick shorthand, maybe. Yeah, maybe you're right. Anyways, Don Little, this uh, president of this, uh, used, this car company. Uh, used car company, uh, takes D5B immediately to uh the gangsters to go like he like shows up and they're like where's our money and he's like hey i got a better thing for money what if i double or nothing and they're like no it's not enough and then he just like has the deed to his uh his business which (laughs) by the way he's ready to go which i i should note is worth not very much now because all the cars have been destroyed but regardless he's like i'll actually give you the deed to my company instead of the money and i know it looks like he's really like you know he's really betting on it but if I was if I was the 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 gangster guy, I'd be like, I don't want to run your business, you know. Like, I, I, you're not going to make enough money. This is going to be worthwhile. Just give me my money. <laughs> I mean, it is a good question. And it, I mean, to be fair to Big Jake, the gangster, Big he Jake, shows that's up, right. Yeah, yeah. Tosses the deed down and says, "I'm not going to play poker, though. My friend here is going to play for me." And Big Jake's like, "All right, but uh, one condition: we're not playing poker because I can see an obvious scam coming." <laughs> Yeah, and I did like that. I thought that was pretty good because what you think it would be was like he's like, "I'll take that offer," but he was like. No, you're clearly trying to screw me over with someone who's very good at cards. So guess what? You'll have to play pool. But thankfully for uh, uh, Don Little, that D5B is... Well, he's not a robot. What is he? He's a... An analog. He's an analog. So he can figure out the geometry of... Well, as um, he says, he gets to the table and he says, Ah, it's just geometry. (laughs) Yeah. Which I don't know if it is, but... 
it's it, I like this scene too. It's very funny. It's very cute. It's f- playing on all the tropes. As he looks at he looks down at the table. We get robot vision, and he basically draws a line so he can break the, he can break with the with the cue ball and sink all of the balls. And then he's like he's like I understand. I will sink all the balls. And Don Little says you don't have to sink them all. Just either the stripes or the solids. That's it. And he's just like ah, I will make the ad- appropriate adjustments to my calculation. And then of course he shoot he breaks he breaks with the cue ball. Every single color, every single colored ball goes into every single pocket immediately. Like it's not like he plays a bunch of shots. One shot, one shot. sinks them all, and then as the eight balls rolling, he's like, "Ah, Mister Ladal, I should have asked you. There's one extra ball, the eight ball. Should I have sunk that as well?" And then he's like, "Yes." He's like, "Ah, good, I did." And then the ball goes in the hole. And I like just how fast this scene is. They put like cash on the table, which I guess is. Fifty thousand dollars? It's not even cash. It's just the deed. So it's just the deed back. When 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 DB five sinks all the balls, Liddell just grabs his deed back off the table and he's just like, "All right, thanks guys, I win." And he just like runs out of there as fast as humanly possible. Which I'm like, "Good move. Don't give them any time to recover from this." I think this kind of like their plot's going to be that Liddell was like, oh, "We're going to get rich this way." Yeah, I'm going go to take you to Reno. Yeah, I'm going to take you to Vegas, and we're gonna and we're gonna do a bunch of betting. But these gangsters essentially are like. That's They're not, not going to happen. Scammed like this, yeah. So like, they, they, as soon as they walk out of the room, Big Jake's are like, uh, "Go get them." <laughs> so now, let me ask you, Luke: If you were going to follow someone, what kind of vehicle would you choose? Well, what I would do is I would <laughs> get into my forklift because <laughs> it's the only way for me. A, a a fairly Big Jake is big. He's a big, yeah. big man. There's a reason they call him Big Jake. We see him riding in a forklift, <laughs> on, like not driving it. He's on the forklift part being raised up yeah. pushed it's a, forward it's a man lift anyways but a man lift it. the camera pulls back and his giant monster truck is parked in the middle of two lanes and he's getting into it because the only way for him to access the monster truck he drives is via forklift and let's just say it's a monster truck it's something you would see at like a stadium crunching other cars it's the tires are the size of a normal car it's it's so bizarre they've added into the show. I just know someone somewhere was like, guys, we have access to a monster truck. Can you please write this into the show? Because there's no real reason for this other than it sets up some fun crunching of cars later. It is the most outlandish, wild, unexpected turn to cut to like a forklift and a man getting inside of it. And then, of course, it leads to just a quick chase down the highway. Monster trucks chasing Liddell. The monster truck manages to hit the car. Because and Liddell's, you know, he's like, my used cars are the best. Don't worry, we'll get away. They're not the best. He immediately spins out, and the monster truck is able to rear up on it on its back tires. It rears up like, like it's, it's an like elephant, raising. It's like it's an elephant, and as it's about to smash Liddell and D5B, the car stalls out. They drive away, and we cut inside, and Big Jake's inside. His car starts out, and he says, "Ugh, you can have power, you can have fuel economy, you can't have both." Yeah, so he's run out of gas <laughs> for some reason. So there we are. And it just it just to give Liddell and D5B the chance to get away again, they're driving down. They're like, oh, you know what we should do? Hide till it's dark out so no one can see us. Let's pull into this drive-thru here. I'll take you to a movie. <laughs> you know what I like, though? Drive-in. Drive-in. Sorry, yeah, drive drive-in in movie. They're like, he's like, let's hide out at this drive-in. I, I think the the argument being there's a whole bunch of cars and it's dark and they won't see us. I'm like, okay, sure, I'll allow it. But then if you're just hiding out, they park their car and then immediately go get a bunch of snacks. I'm like, yes, you don't need the snacks. You don't need the popcorn and the and the They're gloss sets or whatever treat. you're getting. They're going to get a little treat. I guess. What's funny is uh, throughout this episode, there's actually a few B-plots running. And we'll just talk quickly about A.G. Willis because we left him back at the, at the uh, whatever you call it, the robot, robot factory. Yeah. DB5 had stolen his car. So up till now, he's been trying to find his car to get it back. He does eventually find it, and he's highway patrol pull up, and they don't believe he's with the military. They think he's the one who stole the car. So there's like a long period of time where he's being held by these police officers until the military can call and tell them, "No, you've got the wrong man." And there's a lot of gags of like they search him, and he's got a lot of guns on him. And I I don't know. It it seemed like a real time waster to be honest, but I I guess it's funny. Well, they didn't push the gag far enough. Like when they pat him down, he's got two guns and a knife on him. And I'm just like, you need You needed a couple more things on him, I think, to land that gag. Yeah. But the point is, he's been sort of out of the show, getting his car back, dealing with these police. And as Liddell and DB5 turn into the drive-in, A.G. Wills is driving by that same drive-in. 
and somehow knows Little's car on site. A man he's ne- he doesn't know DB5s with, a man he's never encountered before, and this and he's just like, well, I'm going to go in the drive-in and get them. Yeah, and. The only reason they're saved is because when they're buying snacks at the concession stand, this very loud couple walks into the concession stand and is just shouting to anyone who listen that they need to buy a radio. The radio in their car doesn't work and they won't be able to hear the movie. It's it's a it's a weird way to set up what has to happen. But yeah, you have this very, very loud couple who are wearing like matching bowling jackets. And they basically are like, we, we want to watch this movie, but our radio is broken. So what... Will someone Dawn, sell us a radio? Yeah, D, it's, I don't can't remember if it's D5B or Dawn, but someone comes up with a plan. And like, what we'll basically do is, you, it kind of happens off camera, but you, as a viewer, understand what happened. He's basically like, why don't we just swap cars? I'm a used car salesman. I'm going to give you a car. I like it sight unseen. We'll just switch cars. I know. You, this, this couple just agrees to switch cars because their radio is broken. Yeah, so they get into the other car and uh, uh, they, anyways, they switch cars. But what happens is immediately when the couple get into the car, uh, J.G. Willis, the agent, he's in the background with a gun and he's like, who are you guys? You know, it's like, oh, can you believe it? No, well, not only do we get a crappy car, but there's a military agent in the car and the other guys are able to drive off now. They they, yeah. they get off. And but, of course, the couple's just like, that's our car driving away. So Wills is like, well, I guess I'll chase them now. Yeah, so he can chase them. But then, to add one more beat to this uh, drive-in, in comes the um, uh, the monster truck with the three goons in it. And they, they also can spot the car. Well, I like they drive in, they block the projector with their monster truck because it's so big. And immediately the crowd turns on them and starts throwing popcorn at them. No, no, no. It, well, that doesn't happen right away. They, they, the crowd really turns on them because they come in and they go, there's the car. And they drive over an entire row of cars and get with to the monster be- truck demolition derby style. Yeah, and then go. Oh, I don't think they were in the car. Then they pull around and block the screen. And then everyone in the drive-in gets out and th- starts throwing popcorn and st- like started gangs up. And what I like is they're basically everyone's so angry because of all the destruction. And I assume because they're wrecking the movie. Um, everyone's so angry. So one of the gangster hoods guys pulls out his gun and sort of shoots it up in the air. And you think that, you know, the crowd will scatter. The mob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it doesn't. What happens is because it's America, everyone has a gun and they all just like pearl like shotgun stuff. They just start shooting the car. <laughs> and they're, and they're just like, and they're like, uh-oh, I guess we're here for a while. Yeah, yeah. They blow out the tires of the monster truck. And this is the last we'll see of Big Jake and his goons. And it ends with Big Jake just saying, well, I guess we're watching the movie. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I think, I think you have other problems. People are shooting any, shotguns at you. At any rate, this is this gets rid of that whole Big Jake problem. That's solved, apparently. Yeah. And yeah. A.G. Willis is chasing down D5B and Liddell in their car down the nighttime highways. He's he's firing his gun out the window. The windows are breaking. They pull off the road into, like, it's dark. It's, it's either a lumber mill or some sort of mine, maybe. Who knows? It's just it's, some sort of industrial complex. Yeah, some sort of factory of some sort. And I thought for a moment that... Uh, Willis had killed Don Little because they they stopped the car and DB5 pulls Liddell out and he's unconscious. And I'm like, oh, man, is is he dead? Is the used car salesman dead? I think it's just bad editing. I think yeah, what happened just is... just have been injured. Yeah, I think they were driving so fast that he, he hit the steering wheel and knocked himself out. It was something to that effect, but the way it was shot, it's not clear. So for some reason, they arrive and he's unconscious. And yeah, so yeah. D5B's got to pull him out of the car and sort of... While he's taking care of him, in shows up uh, uh, Agent Willis. Yes, Agent Willis. And they have, their, they have their big showdown. Willis has been craving it since the beginning of the episode. He's really wanted to see what one of these robots can do against a real human, yeah. a real human badass like himself. And, of course, uh, he's got a shotgun, so he, he blasts old DB5 a couple times. DB5 goes down. He goes to gloat, like he goes to go gloat over his body, but like DB5 is injured and like in trouble, but he's not down. He's, in fact, still able to mimic... Uh, old Agent Wilson's voice that's freaking Well, yeah, out. that's that's how he distracts him. He uh, he mimics, like, it's not only a mimic, It's I think it's a recording from when from the beginning of the episode when Willis had seen him. And it, it throws him off so much that it distracts him for a moment. He's able to, D5B is able to knock the gun out of his hand. And now they're, he sort of gets up and they're like, no, he's like, well, we're equal now. But you can still see he's being badly injured. And I think we yeah, get a yeah, couple, yeah. like, robot vision shots of his own analysis of his body to show where the injuries are. Um, here's what I didn't get though. So he's like the shotgun clearly did some some major damage to him. Yes. And then 
Willis pulls out another, like a, it's a revolver or something like that. And he shoots him multiple more times, but this doesn't seem to have any effect on him at all. Is it that the shotgun was such a powerful uh, weapon that it made damage, but the other gun doesn't, or that the damage is just minor, like, because it just, it seemed like there's no effect on him for the other gun. Yeah. We, we see, we see his robot vision where we see like the two, like his, a printout of his body and like where the damage is. And we just see more like little pinpoints of damage. Yeah. I think maybe the idea is like just like a revolver's bullets aren't quite enough to do anything, right? And he's so, a real he's a real Terminator that way. So yeah, so it's just like it doesn't hurt me. So um, Willis he, goes to his trunk. He goes to his trunk and pulls out like he I, I like he goes through like because he has again like dozens of guns and the first thing he pulls out is like I don't think it's like a missile launcher but it's something similar. No, no, what it is is he oh we see we see a pan down of his trunk. There's like thousands of guns inside of it, like a comical amount of guns, and like it and the shot ends on like a huge machine gun and you think he's going to pull that out. But instead what he does is he pulls out an old Western Winchester oh, and he does some like fancy flipping around of the Winchester. Like, like, like you would see in a cowboy movie. And once he's got it loaded, he stops and he's just like, nah, this isn't right. And he just puts it back and then pulls out the machine gun. So he has a machine gun now um, and he's going to mow down D five B. But just at this time in arrives, uh, uh, what's the, I can't remember the, the red, red, the truck driver, and Dr. Fletcher arrived just in time to save DB5. Yeah. And it's because over the course of this episode, this is the other plot, is that Dr. Fletcher has been trying to tr- use the tracking device she gave DB5 to find him. Yeah. He forgot it in the cab of Red's pickup truck. So the two of them meet up and Dr. Fletcher explains to him, Steve is in fact a robot and not, as the government leaked newspaper story says, a Soviet spy. <laughs> Yeah, and just as we take a little uh, 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 moment here, I didn't understand what benefit that was of even mentioning there was, like, so, like, they're they're trying to track the guy down, so I guess the idea is we're going to plant a story so people will alert the press so we'll find him, but why say he's a Soviet spy? Why not just not mention it at all? And isn't it easier to find someone if no one knows you're looking for them? I mean, I think it's just a gag around the idea of the 80s and the fear of Soviets and like the government needs to find them fast. So if they so if they've got a big photo of DB5 and he's a Soviet agent, everyone's going to turn him into the police the second they see him. I think that's just the gag. Right. So, I mean, the important part, though, is the doctor and uh, uh, Red. Red. They they meet up and they drive for like it's almost it's maybe like two scenes. It happens very quick and you have to have this like they get along. He's like, yeah, I like the guy because he's anti-government and, you know, the president's stupid. Yeah, yeah. And they get along Let's that way. Team so, up. so they're friends. They show up just at the right time. I like that. They, they team up to find him. And the, Dr. Fletcher, rightly so, is just like, how are we ever going to find him without the without the thing? And, and Red's just like, I'm a truck driver, so I drive a lot. I'll find him. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I know. I, I, I kind of like that sort of thing. It's just like, it's a plot hole. And they're like, he's a truck driver. He knows the road. So he, he just knows the roads. Don't worry. He knows about the it. roads. Don't worry about it. So, and guess what? He does know the roads because he shows up just in the nick of time. Yeah, yeah. He, he, of course, also has a gun in the cab of his truck. So he opens fire on Willis. Willis has to take cover, allowing DB five yeah. to carry Liddell to the to the giant semi truck, and then the semi truck drives the slowest getaway possible in this car. Yeah. And since it's the end of the episode, Willis kind of gives up. He's like, "I'll get you next time." No, yeah. But... Here's I got his actual quote. He says, "Next time, pal, I'll be ready." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Real setting up the next encounter. Yeah. And the episode ends with Dr. Fletcher repairing D5B in the back of like a local appliance store. Yeah. Thankfully, his parts are the same as a washing machine. Yeah. Well, it's it's funny because she's, you know, she's she's doing it and uh, uh, Red's wait, uh, bo- both Don Little and Red are waiting outside. And what's funny is the, the uh, like, I know both those actors, but they're they're very similar looking. So it's odd that, that they cast both them. They're both kind of like schlubby kind of overweight 50 year old men that look exactly the same but anyways they're waiting and and there's a there was a weird scene added so like they're like oh is he gonna make it i don't know and of course he will make it and he comes out uh and i'll mention one other thing real after i mention this but he comes out and uh the doctor's like starts talking to the guy who owns the appliance store i guess and and he's like because he let him use the back repair room he's like you did some amazing things in there and she's like well you can't tell anyone he's like oh you're right i can't and I was like, why, why are you even adding this scene in? Dude, you don't need this guy. This doesn't add anything to anything. This There's just going to be strangers or friends you haven't met yet. You're going to meet yeah. a lot of friends on this journey. But, but one thing that made me laugh was how they had dressed him. Now that, like, you're going to see that every episode he'll be dressed in, like, you know, whatever the local attire is. And he's sort of, I think, wearing, like, 
I don't know, jeans and a flannel shirt or something. But he also seems to be wearing a MAGA hat, doesn't he? <laughs> I hadn't noticed, but perhaps. Yeah, he is. I think he is. <laughs> but yes, it, it's sort of wrapping it up. DB5, DB5's fine. Him, Fletcher, and Red are about to go on the road for more adventures. He says goodbye to Don Little, the car dealership, because he's not coming with them. And uh, D- Little says, I hope you find the president, and I hope he lets you keep his brain. Oh, and if you do see the president, can you ask him to give us car dealers a break on uh, Japanese imports? And DB5's <laughs> like, I will be sure to do that. <laughs> I know. It's such a timestamp, huh? It's a very funny little little joke to pop it with. And then, of course, he gets he makes the same joke as always about if he finds the president, he'll get his brain back unless the president needs a brain. And Red's just like, we've got to teach you a new joke, DB5. And DB5's like, why? This joke isn't broken. And then music plays and they drive off into the sunset for more adventures. More adventures. Yeah. And that's and that's the pilot. I mean, it goes by really fast. It's what, about 45 minutes? But it feels it's like it's about a pilot, but it, it feels it feels lighter than that. It even. feels like 20 minutes. Yeah, it's real light. It, it feels like a real light time. Well, we're at that point. What do you think? Do we want to rate this thing? Do you have any other thoughts about Steel Collar Man? Like, do you, do you think this was, was a... Sh- I mean, here's the thing about it. I think this is not a great pilot. However, I, this seems like it had enough of enough of legs. You know, like, it, it had en- enough of legs. It had enough to make a series. It's, it's a silly concept, but, like, that fish out of water, learning something every episode is enough to at least have a season. Here, here's, I, I mean, I do want to write it, but here's what I wanted to talk to you about with this. Mm. And I don't know if you're going to agree with me because I'm not sure we saw this in the same vein, but off the top, I was like, this is really weird. A robot is a robot. And then they sneak into a bathroom to have a conversation. And then who comes out of the bathroom? But one of the, one of the McKenzie brothers. And I realized <laughs> he wrote it and I'm not saying it's perfect, but I actually, I suspect this is a parody in the vein of Heat Vision and Jack. Like, this is actually, Mm. he's just like, I'm going to write something. It's going to be the dumbest, silliest thing ever based on the tropes of the genre. And the problem maybe with it is and why it, it like, maybe can be viewed as not a parody and as just a bad version of these shows is that these shows are so close to parody themselves that I think they're hard to parody. But I had a feeling watching this that this was entirely meant to be a joke because Every, everything's dumb why is he driving a monster truck because it's the silliest weirdest thing dave thomas could think of like why does he make it why does he t- tell the tell the president that i have a brain and why do they hit that beat over and over again it's because it's such a bad stupid joke that you just like hit that beat and i think this is supposed to be a parody of the genre i can see your point i don't know if the execution shows that or if the director and the production team behind it felt the same way i felt like they were trying to do this show and it did feel like a retread of these other shows you you could very well be right i i don't know if it's if what we see on the screen lends lends enough to to convince me though well this is going to affect my writing because i feel strongly this was mostly meant as a joke like everything Mm. that's lazy and bad is actually just lazy and bad because he's he's using those to make a to make a joke about the genre yeah, see, I, mean, I don't, see, yeah, I think that's going to be a difference. I think it's kind of just lazy and bad. <laughs> no, I, I, that's where I think I disagree. I actually think this was, it wasn't a perfect parody. Like, I think Heat Vision and Jack does a better job parodying this genre. But I do feel like everything I saw in it, the way it was cast, like all the cast is done to be too over the you top. You feel like this is a Paul Verhoeven movie is what you're saying. It is meant, I think, to be a light parody of this kind of like robot mm. on the run show. And it still has to hit all the same beats because they're trying to make it a series. So that's kind of where it falls flat is they don't push the parody far enough. But everything, I like every turn of it made me laugh because I recognize the beat from a million shows we've watched before. And I recognize them as like just a like joke about that beat. So I, for me, I'm going to give it a seven, Jordan, because I okay. think this was like a straight up parody of the genre. And it made me laugh because I could see everything they were like kind of making fun of right see yeah i I mean i I don't know if i entirely agree i think it kind of was a retread and even if it was a a, let's say you're right and it was a parody of things i don't think the execution made that clear then and i and i i think if if even if i'm taking that as as truth i think the execution was not great then i still got to give it a five out of ten five out of ten no i had a great time watching it i thought it was i was Uh, yeah i thought it was fun though 
I thought it was very funny. Like every joke made me laugh because I realized I'm, I'm like, this is just absurd. Like every choice they're making is the worst choice. But it's be, it's because they're trying to make the worst choice. Mm. Like, yeah, maybe his, his monster truck stalls out. Why? You can have power or fuel economy, not both. It's just like, that's it. It's just to get that line across that like incredibly stupid line. <laughs> You know what? I would definitely recommend it to people because it's a fun, silly 45 minutes and you could do much worse. I agree. I think if you have an interest in like Auto Man or that kind of things, I think like you should watch this because like Dave Thomas wrote a weird, jokey version of Auto Man. Like, yeah, Auto I Man, wish Auto or, Man or was Gemini like this. Man or Beyond Westworld or Galactica 1980. It's all in that that vein. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think you're right. The The biggest sin of it is he, tr- like, which is a thing I like in my comedy and my parodies, is he tried to, like, keep it true to the genre. But I think the problem is this genre, like, to be true to this genre, it's really hard to parody because the difference between this and an episode of Auto Man is negligible. The only difference, yeah. I think, was that the people on Auto Man don't realize they're doing a bad job. I might have to look more into this to see if that if that was the case, but... Either way, it's a it's a, a silly, fun 45 minutes. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's wrap it up, Jordan. We don't need to talk about Steel Color Man anymore. There's not much written about it online, so I couldn't no. find a lot of details. No, I'll, I'll, the only thing I'll mention is uh, one of the few things I found was uh, someone who went to the test. You know, like before it aired, they, they sat in a room with like buzzers and stuff, and they were just talking about that everyone in the room hated it. And, and he was like, oh, uh, I just never thought I'd see it aired. And then he said a year later he saw it on, on TV. And he's like, oh, I thought this would never make it out there. All of us hated that show in the room. I did I did see a few actual, like, more more contemporary reviews of it. And, I, and they were very negative. But I also think there are, I think it's, in my opinion, and obviously I could be mistaken, they were taking it very much at face value. Uh, as, like, this was supposed to be very, like, taken very seriously, a serious attempt at the genre. So it, I think it depends how you choose to view it. Hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, and that's Steel Color Man. All right. Well, you can email us, as always, at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, we'll have some... There's some great clips from Steel Color Man. Mm-hmm. I haven't pulled them yet, but there's some lots of fun stuff in Steel Color Man. We're definitely going to have him walking on the spot in that Tron landscape. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Well, what's funny about it is at the end of the opening credits, they seem to go on longer than you need to, and it's just him running with nothing there's no like there's no text of like stars or anything. it's just him running and he's running away from the screen i'm like why why am i still seeing this it's so because it's so funny it's like it is almost automan's opening but it's just like to me it's just like this is the perfect parody of that like it mm. made me laugh so hard and i'm just like this is so such a funny execution of this of this thing that i've seen a million times but it's such a like dry execution of that that like it can be mistaken i think for being exactly what it looks like mm-hmm and that's where we differ. <laughs> yeah, we might just differ. But yes, you can reach us at what is it? Uh, continuum drag at gmail.com or yeah, at continuum, continuum drag at uh, Twitter. We already said all that. Yeah, I think we went through all that. You're, you're, you're just like, where are we? What's happening? <laughs> yeah. At any rate, listener, thank you for joining us. And Jordan, I will see you next week. I will see you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.